Let's go to the Lord in prayer before I start the message. Father, thank you so much again for a great week with our kids for Canica. And God, again, just continue to water those seeds and help those children grow in their faith. And just grateful for all the ways that you were work, not only in the kids' lives, but in the counselors' lives and the volunteers and our church. And God, we pray this morning as we dive into your word, God, that we would do so with open hearts and open minds, open ears. And may you speak to us through this word. And God, I pray that I might lessen and Christ might increase so that this is of him and not as much from me, God. So I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So there's a legendary tale about Bear Bryant, who was the famous football coach for the University of Alabama from 1958 to 1982, won more national championships in college than any other coach until uh, Nick Saban recently. But there's a legendary story about uh, there's a game that he's coaching for the University of Alabama. They're way ahead of their opponent. There's only two minutes left in the game. His team just got the ball back. And he decides to put in his fourth-string quarterback who'd never played a down of college football before. He gives him specific instructions. He says, son, I want you to go into the game. I want you to run the ball up the middle three times. We're going to punt. Our defense is going to take over. The game will be over. Let's go. So the quarterback runs out. The only thing is, every time he ran up the middle, he got huge chunks of yardage. He gained first downs. He got deep in the other opponent's territory. They were close to the goal line. The quarterback suddenly realized, he says, I'm so close. He said, I'm going to, temptation overtook instructions. He thought, I'd never thrown a touchdown pass in a college game before. I'm going to throw a pass. So he goes back, he throws a pass, he he promptly throws it to a defensive back who intercepts it. The guy takes off in the field, the the clear field, looks like he's going to score a touchdown. The quarterback's stumbling to get his feet to try to chase down this fast defensive back. He finally chases the defensive back down just before he gets to the goal line. The game ends, the gun goes off, the coaches meet at midfield after the end of the game. And the opposing coach looks at Bear Bryant and shakes his head and says, I just don't understand. He says, I don't understand how your fourth-string quarterback can catch the fastest player from my team at the end of the game. And and Paul Bear Bryant just deadpan. He said, listen, coach, it's simple. He said, your guy was running for a touchdown. My guy was running for his life. (laughs) Do you know we're all in the race of our lives? Our life is like a race. Scripture, the Bible talks about that over and over again. Use the example that we're running a race in our life. So the question is, how do you win that race? How do you complete the race that God has laid out for you? How do you finish your life well? Well, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to Hebrews chapter 12. You can also look at the church app. We've got this passage in our app as well. So we're going to turn to verse 12, or chapter 12 in Hebrews. One of the reasons I picked this passage this morning is, first of all, it was a passage that had focus at camp out this week. On day two, this was their focus, and their idea was, let's run. And so uh, I thought it's a great passage. I thought we could take a look at it. Second reason is, if you haven't noticed, we're in the middle of the biggest stage for athletes in the world right now, the Olympics, Right? All the greatest athletes in the world are competing over these two weeks. And so this is a really cool verse because it talks about running a race. And so um, let's look at Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. So the passage says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, 
Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand on the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So literally, we're told in this passage to run with endurance the race that's set out before us. And God sets a specific race for every believer. Your race is not my race. My race is not your race. We all run different races, unique races. And that's to say that God does not call every believer to do the same things in life. However, he does call every believer to persevere, to finish his or her race well. Think of Judas. You know, Judas was a disciple of Jesus. He started well. He decided to follow Jesus. He heard Jesus teach. He decided to follow him. Uh, He uh, even went out two by two with the other disciples, we're told. He healed the sick. He helped cast out demons. And then at some point, he decided in the end to betray Jesus. And that's how everyone remembers him. And so how you end your life is always crucial because that defines everything that has gone before Oz Guinness, a Christian author, talks about his last visit to John Stott, who's a famous theologian of the last 60 years. And three weeks before Stott died, he visited him. And Guinness recalls Stott as being one of the greatest Christian leaders of the last century. And he'd known him for many decades. And so on this last visit between two old friends, Guinness says, after an unforgettable hours, hour and many memories that have been shared over our lifetimes, I asked him how I could pray for him as he's nearing the end of his life. And he's lying back weakly on his, uh, on his back. He can't hardly speak. And in a hoarse whisper, he says, uh, he says, Oz, he says, pray that I remain faithful to Jesus until my last breath. And Guinness says, may that be the prayer of every generation, that we remain faithful to Jesus until our last breath. So how do you do that? How do you remain faithful to Jesus until your last breath? How do you run with endurance the race that he's laid out before you? Well, I think I would propose that you start by learning from the witnesses who've gone ahead of us. According to this passage, we need to pay attention We need to know that there are witnesses who've gone ahead of us, who've laid a path out for us, who've inspired us. Study the men and the women of the faith who've gone before and let their lives inspire and instruct us to remain faithful in Christ, even when life gets hard. Athletes are inspired by other great athletes, right? I can't tell you how many times as I've watched swimming in the Olympics this last week, the swimmers talking about Michael Phelps and how watching him inspired them to pursue greatness. And how many times those athletes, you've seen them as young swimmers, taking their picture next to their hero, Michael Phelps, the greatest swimmer who's ever swam. swam. And so, uh, you know, Michael Phelps inspired so many of these great athletes today to reach for greatness in swimming. Look back at verse 1. It says, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And these are not spectators in the stands only cheering us on. No, they're they're men and women who are spoken of in Hebrews chapter 11, the previous chapter. Therefore, begins this passage, and it points back to the previous chapter in this passage. And these are people of faith who bear witness to the grace and the power of God at work in their lives and in their faith. 
I'll tell a story about Joey Lee. Joey Lee was in the race of his life. It was the 150-mile marathon that was run in the Moroccan desert of the Sahara. Uh, it's called the Les Sables. And it's a powerful, challenging race. And on day four, Lee was about halfway through the 150 miles when uh, the air cushion on his running shoes blew out, probably because of the heat on the soles of his running shoes. And he still had the soles, but he had no cushion any longer. And he's basically had half of the race still to go. He's running on hot sand, on rocks, and he keeps on going. He doesn't quit, even though many Runners had already quit because of the heat and the exhaustion. He had another 30 miles to run that day. He had 40 miles to complete over the next few days. He refused to quit. The only sight ahead of him was this limitless sand and these huge dunes that he had to overcome to complete the race. But he presses on. And three days later, he finished the race in the middle of the pack of 600 runners who completed the 150-mile marathon. And Joey Lee was running for a reason. He was running for his young wife who had just passed away a year and a half before from cancer. And he was running in her memory. He was running also to raise money for the American Cancer Society. And ignoring the mental and physical exhaustion and obstacles he faced, he finished the race. And afterwards, he was asked what kept him going. And he replied, I just thought a lot about Allison. And I thought a lot about what she went through. It was much more challenging than what I've had to go through over these last few days. Who inspires you to keep on going? Who inspires you to finish the race of life well? You know, I have a list that I keep in my journal of probably over 30 people now who have invested in my life in, in, in helping me have faith in Christ. And it's, for me, at times, I go back and look at that list and I think about those people Think about those memory and their investment in my life. And it actually does bring inspiration. It helps me to remember how much they have done for me. And it helps me to continue to make stay strong in my faith. Have you made a list of heroes of the faith in your own life? People who've invested in your life? Who've brought you to this place where you're at in your faith? That's a great list to have. You can go back and look at that and be encouraged by what they did for you, how they invested in your life. If you don't have a list, you can't think of people, then I would say go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and read that passage and then go back and read those stories of all those great people in the Old Testament and some of them even in the early part of the New Testament. You know, they were people just like you and I. Uh, They weren't necessarily great, uh, although they did great things for God at times. And God helped them bring, bring them through some very difficult times. And as a result, they were able to finish the races well. And if you want to finish your life well, first learn from the witnesses of the past, but then second, set aside the weights of the present. Shed those things that keep you from running a, a really good race in your life, that trip you up. Get rid of the, anything that keeps you from doing your best. You know, you don't see runners in the Olympics sprinting with overcoats on, do you? No, they strip down. They've got just very little clothing on, and they've got very little weight. They're doing their best to run as fast as possible. Take off anything that weighs you down. Verse 1 says, throw off anything that hinders. And so some runners will even at times train with weights on their legs, but you never see them run a competitive race with weights. That would be crazy, right? They remove them. So in life, these are items that aren't necessarily sinful or bad. They're just items that slow you down in forward progress. In ancient days, the king of Siam 
uh, when he faced an enemy, if he really uh, wanted to torment and destroy that enemy, he would do this thing where he would give them a white elephant, a live albino elephant. And in their culture of that day, those were sacred animals, and the enemy had to care and, and take care of that animal. And so what would happen is that taking care of that animal would literally strip the enemy of their resources, their time, their energy, their focus, and literally it would wear them down so that the, the king of Siam and his army could overtake them. You know, that's where we get the phrase white elephant gift. Now you know when you go to your, that really bad Christmas party for work. And you give a white elephant gift. You're going to think about that. The enemy of our souls does a similar thing. He fills our lives. He gets us so busy with non-essential items that they take away from the essentials in our life. You know, things like we get too focused on social media. And it takes time away from real relationships with real people. Even our family at times can suffer if we spend too much time on social media. You know, the desire for us to get more things to have the nice and newer things and have more of them. And at times we, we might put that on our credit card or we might go to the bank to get a nicer car or to get a bigger house. And that debt that we carry keeps us from being able to invest the finances that God gives us in really awesome things. You know, like giving to the church to do ministry to change lives, like what we did this last week with Camp Out. Giving to really worthy causes, other mission organizations. There's so many great things we can do with our finances, but if we're weighed down by debt, we can't do those things. You know, too many scheduled activities in our lives, even fun things to do, can keep us from being able to do the things that are really important. It saps our energy and our time. Things like being able and available to help our neighbor who might have a need. Uh, being able to spend time with Jesus every day in just an intimate conversation and reading Scripture. You know, being able to serve or, or do ministry on a volunteer basis. Those things get stripped away because we fill our lives with activities. And that's what the enemy wants us to do. You know, there can be other weights and distractions. You just think about the last couple of years and how so many people have stumbled. You know, frustrations with COVID-19 and you know, wearing masks, people not wearing masks, you know, getting vaccinated or, you know, people who are not vaccinated, uh, you know, just all that we've gone through. And we might have to go through all of it again. And those things can distract us and they can can kind of get our attention away from where we need to be. You know, there's political tensions, there's racial tension. All those things can distract us from really important things. The, the, the focus that Jesus wants us to have on him and on the way we can run our lives in the race of our life and faith well. None of these things are necessarily bad, right? In of themselves. They're just white elephants. They're just weights that wear you out. They slow you down. They keep you from finishing the race that God has laid out for you. So if you want to race that, run that race with excellence, then cut back on some of those things. Get rid of some of those weights and take off anything that weighs you down. And then take off doubt and unbelief. You know, verse 1 says, throw off sin that so easily entangles. It's literally saying, throw off sin that can so easily trip you up as you run your race. And so, in the original Greek language, there's a definite article in front of sin in this verse. And it means that there is particular sin that the author has in mind as he's writing this verse. And in this context, the particular sin he's thinking about is unbelief. The whole previous uh, chapter 11 was all about faith. And so uh, when you believe, you can be certain of what others cannot be certain of. 
You can see what others cannot see. You can hear what others cannot see. You can know what others cannot know. Therefore, you can do what others cannot do with faith. When you believe God, you can finish your race well. But when you don't believe, you get tripped up easily. When doubt and fear cling so closely to your soul, you stop moving forward. You stop growing. So take off that unbelief and run your race, okay? There's a pastor from Indiana that tells a story about his son uh, named Aaron, who was five years old at the time. And Aaron had been looking out their back window and looking at a large, large tree in their backyard and just desiring, I want to, he wanted to climb that tree. And so one day he said, Daddy, can I climb, learn to climb that tree? And his dad said, no, son, it's cold outside, it's snowy, it's wet. Uh, we need to wait until it's warmer and dry. And so a few months later when it was spring, it was a nice day, and the son said, can I go climb the tree? So his dad took him out. And he lifted him up to the lowest branch, and he put his son on the lowest branch, and his son froze in terror. And his dad, the dad could see that his son couldn't move. He was scared. And the son just said, hey, Dad, Dad, I'm worried about falling. I'm going to fall. He just kept repeating, I'm going to fall. I'm going to fall. And the dad said, no, son. He says, just crouch down, then stand up slowly, move to the center of the tree, and you can climb up the tree at the middle. And the son said, no, Dad, I'm going to fall. I'm going to fall. And finally, the dad kept trying to get his attention, but he couldn't, and he yelled his name. He said, Aaron. And Aaron finally looked at him. He said, listen, Aaron. He said, stop worrying and stop thinking about falling and start thinking only about climbing. And so Aaron began to stand up. He moved to the center of the tree, and he climbed up the center of the tree from that moment. And then a a week later, his son wanted to go climb that tree again. And so his dad took him back out, put him on the lower branch again. And his son looked at his dad and said, Dad, don't worry. He said, I'm only going to think about climbing. That's a great message for us today as believers. Let's stop worrying about falling and focus on climbing. Okay? Think about climbing. Take off doubt. Put on faith and climb to heights that you've never dreamed you could climb to before. Depend on the Lord. And let's keep growing. And so if you want to run your race well, first, you learn from witnesses that have gone ahead. Second, you cast aside the weights that might be slowing your progress down. And then third, I want you to look at the winner himself. Look at the winner. Focus on Jesus. Focus on our Savior who began and finished the race 2,000 years ago. Let's look at verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, which means literally staring at Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is both the pioneer and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who went first and blazed the trail ahead of us, all the way to its completion. So if you want to finish your life well, if you want to run the race well, look to Jesus as your Savior. Trust Him as the one who was rescue you from sin. Nabil Kohirsi was a Muslim. And I read a story recently in a magazine about how he became a follower of Christ. And he had a Muslim friend who was named Sahar, who was attracted to parts of Christianity, but she just couldn't go all the way because she had some struggles with some aspects of Christianity. And on one occasion she asked Kohirsi, she said, how can you believe Jesus is God if he was born in the birth canal of a woman and he had to use the bathroom? Aren't those things beneath God? What a crazy question, right? How many, who's been asked that question before? But interesting, right, that she would think these things out in her mind and ask these really good questions. So that has to be beneath God, was her statement. 
And uh, uh, Quirinius, he affirmed her questions, and then he asked her one turn. He said, Sahar, let's say you're on your way to a very important ceremony. You're dressed in your finest clothes. You're almost on, ready to arrive on time, and then you look over, and you see your daughter is drowning in a pool of mud. He said, what would you do? Would you let her drown and go to the ceremony looking dignified and, and, and just looking well in your ceremonial dress? Or would you rescue her and arrive at the ceremony covered in mud? And she said quickly, and as a matter of fact, she said, of course I would jump in the mud and I would save her. And then Quaresi asked her another question. He said, let's say there were others with you. Would you send someone else instead of yourself to save her? Or would you rescue, you, would you rescue her yourself? And she responded, if she's my daughter, then, then I wouldn't send somebody else. They wouldn't love her like I love her. I would go myself to rescue her. I would do it myself, definitely. And Quaresi said, if you, being human, love your daughter so much that you're willing to lay, willing to lay aside the, your dignity to go save her, how much more can we expect God, our Father who loves us, and, and, the, and just overwhelmed with our love, how much more can we expect him, if he's our loving father, to lay aside his majesty and save us? God's willingness to despise the shame of becoming a man and enduring the cross eventually won Sahar's heart. And as Qureshi reported, the message of God's selfless love had overpowered her and she could no longer remain a Muslim. She gave her life to Christ and began to follow Christ. My encouragement for you from that is to please let the message of God's overpowerful, overwhelming love just overcome your heart, okay? And accept Christ as your Savior. Think about what Christ has done for you, what He's been willing to do for you, what He accomplished for you, setting aside His dignity, His honor with God, and taking on human flesh and basically taking on the mud of humanity and coming and living with us and living a perfect life and giving himself as a sacrifice for us. If you want to finish your life well, look to Jesus as your Savior. Trust him with your life and gain purpose for this life, but also gain a promise of eternal life with Christ forever. More than that, I want to encourage you not only to look at Jesus as your Savior, but also look to him as your example. He went before you. He opened the way up for you. All you have to do is follow him. Stuart Briscoe tells a story about a time when he was in the Marines and they were uh, training as commandos to assault cliffs. And he talked about how the theory of a commando raid is to attack your enemy at their weakest point. And oftentimes that would be a cliff at the side of the ocean. And so they would practice attacking a cliff at night because they knew that was the weakest point of the, of the defense. And so when they would come close to the cliff in their boats at dark at night, then they would take a, a, a rocket gun and they would shoot up literally uh, a grapnel uh, up to the top of the cliff and that would land usually in grass and they would pull it back on this little thin rope until they felt it tug up against something secure. And then they had these super cliff climbers that were like Spider-Men, literally who would, uh, one of them would grab a hold of that really thin rope and then he would go up the side of the cliff trusting that it was actually holding on to something secure. And when he got to the top, he had, a, he had a rope when he was climbing that the guys at the bottom were holding on to, and it was a much bigger, thicker rope. When he got to the top, he would secure that larger rope on something that was really solid, really secure, and then he'd give it a couple of tugs, and the guys down below would know it's okay. And then they would follow, and they would climb the larger rope and go up to the side. And they had utter confidence in the one who'd gone before them. 
They had utter confidence in the security of the rope that he had fastened uh, to something secure for them. And Briscoe says, I, I rejoice to tell you that many times we would find ourselves totally secure on those cliffs because of the utter reliable skillfulness of the climber. That's the pioneer picture we have of Jesus in this passage in, chapter, in verse 2. He's the pioneer. He's the finisher of our faith. He's blazed the trail all the way to the top for us. And he invites you to follow him with confidence, totally secure in the path that he has set out before you, that he's opened up for all of us. Because Jesus opened the way that you too can endure your cross, you too can bear the shame of it all the way for the joy of your heavenly reward. And so if you want to finish your life well, look to Jesus as your Savior, look to Jesus as your example. And finally, I encourage you to look to Jesus as your inspiration. Let Jesus motivate you to persevere. Look at verse 3 in this passage. It says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and not lose heart. Pastor Brian Loritz talks about sitting in the doctor's office with his young son, and his young son needed to have some blood drawn for a test, and the nurse came over as uh, Brian was holding his son and said, I need you to extend your arm. I'm going to draw some blood. And, you know, like many young children, he was afraid of the needle. He pulled his arm back and he said, no, I, he goes, I can't do it. And he was just crying softly to his dad saying, I can't do it, dad. I just, I just can't do it. And finally, Brian looked at the nurse and he said, ma'am, he says, I know this is an unusual request, but I'm going to ask you, can, can I pull my arm out and let you draw blood for me? And the nurse said, sure. She said, I'll let you do that. And so um, Brian holds his arm out. The nurse takes a needle, puts in his arm, draws some blood out. And as the son watched his dad hold his arm out and the blood being drawn, the son began to smile. Even though he was still a little bit nervous, he said, Daddy, he says, I've seen you do what I'm going to do. He says, I can do it. I can do it. And so he held his arm out. He let the nurse draw blood from his arm. It gave him courage. And so, my friends, when you find yourselves facing a hard trial, screaming in your heart, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Look to the place where Jesus' blood was drawn. Look to the cross and find courage because of what Christ has accomplished, how far Christ has gone for us. So if you want to run your race well, learn from the witnesses of the past, right? Set aside the weights of today, and then look to the winner himself. Look to Christ as your Savior, your example, your inspiration. You know, life always seemingly presents challenges at times, doesn't it? And I think over the last couple of years, it's felt like we've had way more challenges than we usually have faced, right? You know, athletes face challenges on every level as they train. And what sets the ones who are really high-level performers away from those who don't is they, that they never quit. They never give up. They keep on persevering. And so Hebrews is reminding us to not lose hope, to not give up, to not lose our focus on Jesus as the author and the perfecter of our faith, you know. Again, the last couple of years have been challenging for all of us, right? And I know it's been really challenging for me as a pastor. I feel like some, in some ways it's maybe been the most challenging couple of years I've ever had in ministry. And I've, the past couple of weeks I've been reading about the rise in COVID uh, infections and about the possibility that we might have to wear masks again and in spite of so many of us uh, you know, getting the vaccination. And it's just kind of discouraging. And I could feel myself kind of, oh, 
losing heart? Are we going to, what does this mean? And how bad is that going to be? But, but I want to tell you, you know, this past week has been a really big encouragement for me. One is I got to go downstairs and hang out with the kids and just see the passion and the enthusiasm that they had as they were learning and growing in their faith and the passion of the Canuck staff and just being able to hear the gospel being, you know, shared in just powerful and encouraging ways. And I was really, my spirit was really lifted this past week. And then I got to spend time in this passage and think again about all the people who've gone ahead of us. You know, all these great people of faith that are in chapter 11. And then thinking about all the people who've gone ahead of me and how they've invested in my life and encouraged me and helped build my faith in Christ. And then to read and be reminded about who Christ is and what Christ has done for us on the cross and, you know, His willingness to take on our flesh and all these things. And what, not only what He's done, but also what He promises He will do. And I, my faith is encouraged. My hope is higher than it's been in so many uh, weeks and even maybe months. I'm encouraged about the future. I'm not worried about the next few weeks. I'm not really concerned about the future. I would say to all of us, folks, we as Christians, we have such an opportunity in front of us. You know, people are, are desperate for hope today. They're asking questions about what can I, what can I base my life on? What can I build my life on? Is there anything of value? that I can trust, that is, is sure, that I can count on. And my encouragement to all of us is as we live our life and, and live out our faith and, and we're focused on Christ, that the joy that comes out of that relationship, the joy that we experience as we know Christ and we know Him intimately, will influence others, that they will seek Christ and that they will find Him and follow Him. And so my encouragement for all of us is keep your focus on Jesus. Don't lose faith. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Okay? Jesus Christ, the author, the perfecter of our faith. So I just want to close this, uh, the message by thinking, having us think through a few action steps. It's one thing to hear a message. is another, what am I going to do with that that I've heard? So I want you to think about three questions I've got for you in action steps this morning. First is, who are your faith heroes? Do you have that list? Have you written that down? Take time, if you haven't, write out the names of people who have invested in your life. Do it this afternoon. Again, if you don't have a list, you can't think of names, go back and read chapter 11. Go back and read throughout Scripture those stories of those great leaders in the faith. Second question is, what do you need to set aside to run more effectively the race of life, the race of faith? Is there something that's hindering you, blocking you, keeping you from moving forward? And third is, where is your focus? Where is your focus? Is it on Christ or is it on other distractions? If on other distractions, what do you need to do to get your focus off of those distractions and back on Christ? How do you need to move that focus back to Christ? Some things that I want you to think about today, this afternoon. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for this day. God, we're grateful for this word that comes to us, the encouragement. As life gets tough sometimes, God, it's great to go back to your word. And be reminded of all these uh, great things that you've done for us. To be reminded of people who have uh, been witnesses, who've gone ahead of us, who've proclaimed boldly the faith that we now own, God, who've helped us. God, we think about Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith, and so grateful for the ways, God, that, that he's accomplished things for us. He's accomplished salvation for us. He's given his life for our lives. God, help us to be found faithful. Help us to 
Remain focused on Christ. Help us, God, to keep the faith and run the race well. God, we want to be an influence. We want to be a people that that help others discover Christ and follow Christ. God, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to stand as we respond to the word we just received.